Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to the Plumfield Moms. We know your time is precious, and we consider it an honor and a privilege that you choose to spend some of it with us. Earlier this year, we interviewed three of our favorite small publishers. We're rerunning that episode today because in our newest issue of the Shelf Notes newsletter, we are announcing some big news from Purple House Press and that Living Book Press's annual birthday sale starts next week. We thought you might enjoy listening to this episode as you get your shopping list together. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and this is a pretty special day because it is not just any old day that you can get five busy people from four different time zones together. We have Jill Morgan from Purple House Press and Jody Skinner from Smidgen Press in Eastern Time Zone, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Mountain. Sarah's in Central. We have Anthony Cofield from Living Book Press, who is in Tomorrow. <laughs> that is correct i love it hello from the future <laughs> <laughs> anthony you are a time lord are you not i am indeed <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> well friends it is a true pleasure for us to be able to sit down with anthony and jill and jody as you know if you listen to our podcast at all you know that we are huge fans of all three of them and all the books that they are bringing back into our libraries, into our homeschools, into our family culture. We're just, we feel so incredibly blessed to know that excellent books are living new great lives through their efforts. So Jill and Anthony and Jody, thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to talk about 2023 and 2024 with you. Thank you so much for having us. Today is also special because it's the first time that Anthony and Jody, I think, have ever seen each other. Is that right, you guys? That is and correct. Jill and Jody, have you seen each other before? No. I've seen Jody on Facebook before, but never in person. No, like talking at the same time and seeing faces <laughs> moving. It's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's all in sync. <laughs> oh, yay. Well, friends, we love what you do. You know this. We don't tire of saying it. Uh, we just are really grateful for the work that you've done. And we thought that it might be fun to talk about what's coming in 2024 for you and also to look back on 2023 and see what are some of the things that you're really excited about that have happened this year that you want to make sure other people know about. I know that, Jill, you had a big year with a Kickstarter Anthony, you released a ton of books <laughs> all at once. Yeah, the, the, all, all backloaded. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. It was like Christmas. <laughs> well, well I've, I've just realized and, that I, I had two books a week scheduled for all of December and January, but I didn't schedule them correctly. So they're all on my website, but I haven't actually released anything for the last two months. So I'm thinking I might oh. just have to do a dump tonight if I get time. Otherwise, it'll <laughs> wait till I'm home. <laughs> You know, I have been learning a lot about 
my style and, you know, whatever the metrics are, whatever the good plans are, you know, you're supposed to plan everything out, have your podcast come out at certain times and, and have everything spaced really nicely and do all this special social media. Yeah, that's not how we work. <laughs> We're batch people too, Anthony. <laughs> we get kind of into a frenzy and do a whole bunch of stuff. And <laughs> I was talking to someone about marketing the other day. They're like, what's normally your marketing plan? And I, I said that, well, usually I get an email from a customer saying, you normally have your birthday sale around this time. It's the end of March. And I go, oh, wow, is it that time already? <laughs> and so I quickly <laughs> put something on my website and, and put it out. Um, that, that's my preparation. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I understand that. <laughs> That's me too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Jody, you've had a big year because you've added some really special books to your site, including a really special Charlotte Mason volume. So, what are you excited about from 2023? When you look back on the year, what's the thing that you just are really delighted that you had done or are relieved to have behind you? You know, I think uh, as far as relief goes, I think that Charlotte Mason volume definitely fits that bill. We ended up releasing a hundredth anniversary. I, that's not the right word, but, um, you know, the hundredth year of Charlotte Mason's passing, um, releasing her what was eventually marketed as volume six of the home education series um, towards a philosophy of education. Mm -hmm. And then getting to make that a more complete edition that she envisioned, mm -hmm. where we had part three in the book, which um, was transcribed by Charlotte Mason Poetry. So it was basically completing the third section that she wanted. So they had some of the notes as far as why it was intended for publication, That's right. um, but then was cut. It's just a big volume. I'm not surprised that in the 1920s, they cut it just for paper concerns. Sure. Um but then having an appendix added that then was another oh, 50 or 60 pages worth of case studies where Mason's, you know, the reflections of the different headmasters and some of the teachers as to how the Charlotte Mason method worked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was absolutely fascinating because, I mean, I was I was homeschooled from fourth grade all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. Um but we didn't have a lot of resources at the time. You really only had three or four main curricula. Right. Um, you know, there were a lot more out there, but that was kind of the three or four big names and that's what you sure. get. So I had heard the name Charlotte Mason, but I'm fairly new to her. Yeah. So this was fascinating feeling like I was getting to know her. Fairly intimately. Yeah. It was a big project to maintain the original page numbers for the people who like to consult those as side notes in the margins, but letting it be um, bigger text, almost like a study volume, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. still in a normal bookshelf size. Yeah. So. That was a lot of fun and a lot of work. And a lot of wizardry. I can empathize absolutely with those difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you've released two sets of those, right? You have your, you know, the brown editions and the uh, and your gray series. It's the same inside, though. It's just a different cover. So. Still, yes, that's that's a lot of work for six of those. I remember I was in the shower. I was trying to work out what to do because I think I was looking at it and had heard people complaining about somebody doing a volume that didn't retain the original page numbers. And I was like, okay, if, if it's going to be done, it needs the page. And I, I remember being in the shower and suddenly just having this light bulb of how I could do it, um, which which uh -huh. involved having every single <laughs> line is a separate paragraph style. So like a, what, what you see is a paragraph in the formatting. Every single line is its own paragraph 
um, was the only way I could go about it. But it was a, a lot of work. Wow. Wow. For, and you did that across six volumes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's that's truly incredible. How do you approach books like that when you realize that you want to protect a particular format, but you want to be able to print it today? So obviously printing has changed and what you want to do, fonts have changed, all of that. How do you even get your head in the space to basically re-engineer books to do that? Charlotte Mason, I think, would be the only one I've really had that big issue with where you have to retain the pagination. Would you agree with that, Jody? Have you encountered it with anything else? Yeah, nothing else has been really that academic. Mm, okay. Yeah. That that you need the same page numbers to have all the other existing resources sync up. So once once I cracked the um idea of doing each line as a separate paragraph at all, it all fit together with just some experimenting with fonts and sizing to make it look good. But then you've got books like Volume gotcha. 6 when Jody was talking about that. It's in a smaller font with smaller margins on the original than all of the other volumes. So while its page count is similar to some of the others, it's actually got a far higher word count. So that wow. was back to the drawing board once I got to that one. So. That was really interesting to actually hold a, a first edition uh, 1925 printing of uh, Philosophy of Education, um, the appendix was the text was given to us by the Charlotte Mason Institute. And so uh, Deanie Van Pelt had lent me her own copy of philosophy of education with this. I mean, and it's almost a, a six by nine size. It's almost exactly the size that we ended up printing it at. Wow. But the text was always that small. They never actually made, they just cut around the paper around it in subsequent editions. So the next edition is more like five inches wide. And then by the time you get to the pinks, then they're, you know, they're the tiny format that so many people are used to. But yeah, it, the text was always really small. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, our Ralph Moody books were the same way. I had to leave the pages the same as they were in the originals. And that's the only time I really do that. Jill, why did you have to leave them the same? Were people particular about it or was some... I just... I. I was trying to recreate the originals, oh. so I wanted it to have the same page numbers as the originals. So I, I did the same thing on those. I think that's magical. I really do. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Because there are a lot of things that quote, especially when we're talking about Charlotte Mason, but I think Ralph Moody, too, is often discussed in, in homeschool circles and pages are often quoted. And so it is really nice to have that continuity. And I can definitely see with Charlotte, you know, all the resources that are built upon, you got to be able to go and find the thing. And uh, Charlotte didn't write in chapter and verse like scripture. So you, you can't really be flexible there. Well, technically not the scripture writers. So. <laughs> yeah, true, true, exactly. <laughs> Excellent point. So maybe at some point Charlotte's going to get her own chapter and verse <laughs> treatment. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So Anthony and Jody, both of you chose to do Charlotte this year. And Anthony, you also did the audiobooks and a Kickstarter, and we should talk about that. But why Charlotte for both of you? Tell us what, why did you decide to take on Charlotte? We launched Smidgen Press back in 2020, I guess, was when I kind of released my first book solo. Um, and then, you know, finding this audience of people that 
they're not just, you know, liking good old books. They're actually building these, you know, curriculum lists around them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, Mm -hmm. this is an audience of people that I want to connect with. And, um, and then having my little team of people and having this as a focus for community, it just seemed amazing. And so, you know, knowing that so many of the books were such small print, so it had been something that I was thinking since very early on, mm-hmm. I'd love to redo something and honor Miss Mason in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the centenary year seemed like a good time to do that. And it, it was a it was a tough call because I'm like, okay, I don't want to redo something that Anthony's already done so well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what can we bring to this? And so having the, I think if we hadn't found the two added sections to be able to bring it more like Miss Mason's vision um, and then being able I, I basically had to had to do the, the page numbers as the initial set of footnotes in the thing. And then all the, the notes and the text were in parentheses. So then I turned all those into side notes in the book itself. Oh, and then sure. I went back through and I made all of the other ones actual footnotes. So I had to do side notes and then footnotes or footnotes twice, however you want to look at it. Um, it, it was fun, but it was it was a lot. A relief to have done, though. Yeah. And, and getting to honor her... Uh, memory and her legacy was just that was really special yeah yeah that's great Anthony what about you why Charlotte so I we decided to start homeschooling our kids when they were really young like we had a few I was very fortunate in we'd while I hadn't been homeschooled we had quite a few years to be getting our head around it and just lurking in different Facebook groups and the like um, I, I'd had a head injury when I was younger, which has given me some memory issues. And one of the few things that I realized was that when the things that I do remember well were often from stories when I mm. resonated with them myself. And so mm-hmm. as I was doing all those quizzes about homeschooling philosophies and what's your homeschooling style and all those things that I had the, the luxury of taking my time to do, a lot of them were coming up with Charlotte Mason, who I'd never heard of. I didn't even know any homeschoolers Mm -hmm. here in Australia. Um, So I started researching that and then a lot of the books were out of print, um, especially particularly Australian Mm -hmm. ones. So I started republishing those. And one thing I was constantly seeing on the uh, forums and, and Facebook groups was where can I get Charlotte Mason's books? Where can I get Charlotte Mason's books? And right. there was another group right. that had been doing them for saying they were doing them for years and nothing was eventuating. And I talked to a few mm. different places and, and they'd said that they hadn't seen anything coming along. And mm. um, my, I had an injury and ended up with a, a bad reaction to some drugs and got hepatitis from, from that, like my, my liver shut down. So I was, I was bed bound. Wow. My wife was outside doing all this work, planting our garlic and digging all the beds by hand. And I felt useless. So I saw mm. one, again, people saying, where can I get the volumes? And I was like, you know what? That doesn't take any energy. I can do that. I'll, I'll start pondering that. Oh. And it was basically my way to give back to the community so that I didn't feel quite so useless. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Many long nights and just, just really just trying to give back because I couldn't have done this living book education. I had no idea how to put together a book list or anything. Like I'm, I'm quite confident with it now, but that's seven years in. Um, when I first started, right. I was so grateful to everyone who'd done that. And I couldn't share my wisdom because I had none, but I could take away this mm. barrier to entry for so many people um, in getting these books. 
so that that was basically just to pay forward and, and help the community. Oh, it's beautiful. I know you and I are both audio people. And so you really felt it was important to bring Charlotte to life, so to speak, with audio. Tell us about that. For a few years, I'd been trying to get it happening, but the books are not an easy read. Um, and I knew I needed mm-hmm. the right voice. Um, it couldn't be mm-hmm. a lecturely voice. It couldn't be a condescending voice. It, it had to feel like sitting down with that that mum whose kids have graduated and you're having a cup of tea and she's just imparting her wisdom. You wanted that that friendly yeah. tone. Um, and I, I approached so many people getting samples and they just didn't quite have it um, until I stumbled across um, Katie who absolutely nailed what I was going for. Um, I think she did, yeah. It, it cost a huge <laughs> amount more than I was hoping for, <laughs> but um, she really <laughs> nailed that, that voice and, and everything else. It, it's truly, truly fantastic. I was so elated to hear because I felt like I could never get all the way through Charlotte because like you said, as brilliant as she was, I did feel a lot of it was, it wasn't that it was dense. It was simply that it never felt like that was the crisis I needed to solve. I didn't need to power through that with all the other things I had going on. But audio allows me, because I am an audiobook listener, I do the vast majority of my reading in audio. Um, it was such a wonderful way for me to feel like this is very accessible for me now. If I just listen a little bit every day, I can make my way through these volumes. So I personally am just completely grateful that you did that because I think it'll make Charlotte more accessible for many. Well, I had the samples and was trying to work out how to fund it, actually, when, when Jody messaged, just saying, I've heard you may be working on some audio books. Um, so <laughs> I remember remember getting that one. But uh, Katie's mom was a, a P&EU teacher, so she was familiar with Charlotte Mason um, before we started recording. And then I got her to read a couple of basic Charlotte Mason books just so she had that um, extra understanding as she was was reading it all. And we, we did That's formation awesome. of character sort of in the middle just to give her a break from the, the more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> now, you did do a Kickstarter to support that uh, endeavor. How did that go for you? Was that your first Kickstarter? It was. It was. It had always been something I wanted to do. It was nice to have something that I had to do it for. I feel sorry for Jill every time I see her running one now and I never want to do one again. <laughs> <laughs> It's especially for people like me, the, the idea of it is exciting and getting it launched is exciting. And then you're stuck with the promoting it and telling people about it and watching it. Mm-hmm. And that's not fun. That's just, no. <laughs> that's just a chore. And, and I hate public publicizing myself and marketing. So it was a, um, <laughs> it was not a pleasant couple of weeks, but it was thanks to wonderful people like you guys and, and other groups that really got behind it and supported it. Um, we, we crossed the line and, and we got there. That's brilliant. So speaking of Kickstarters, Jill, you had an, uh, a very, very, very successful Kickstarter this year, which I am so delighted about because Ralph Moody deserved a Kickstarter like that. So did Elizabeth Ripley. <laughs> yeah, they really did. And, I, and it was surprising. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. Yeah, there's your there's mug. My mug. Every single day, Jill, every single day, I drink out of one of the mugs. 
I, I didn't honestly know if the Kickstarter was going to raise enough money or not. So I made sure with Bison Books that it was okay with them if I only did print on demand if the Kickstarter failed. Mm-hmm. And they were fine with that. So that, that took all the pressure off, you know, of having to earn enough money to pay back the advance and all that. <laughs> um, but we were just, and I went ahead and I used the same book printer I've been using for the last 21 years. Mm-hmm. So I know they do an excellent job and we just plowed ahead and hope for the best. And you all help promote it. And um, people on Facebook and Instagram were great. And I was honestly shocked at the results that it got funded in two or three hours. <laughs> yes. Something like that. Yeah, it was, it was something crazy. And I was worried about it taking 30 days and it took, <laughs> it took a couple hours. So that was, it's really nice to know people appreciate his work that much and that they were willing to invest in hardcovers for their children and grandchildren. Well, I think that, that both you and Anthony used Kickstarter exactly the right way. You used Kickstarter for something that you couldn't bring about without that kind of crowd support without that kind of enthusiasm and financial backing, but that absolutely makes the world richer and better. Like you've, you've left something so much better in the world because of the Kickstarter and all the tax you had to pay emotionally, physically, all of that. The books that you've put out are just absolutely stupendous. Thanks for saying that. (laughs) Was it intimidating, like having it be done within an hour and knowing that you're going to blow past the goals and then thinking about all the extra book packing and mug packing and, and all the rest of it <laughs> on top of that bill. Like, was there some of that on, oh, no, why am I so successful? This is going to cause so many headaches. <laughs> well, in the Kickstarter, I had told people it would probably take us about three or four weeks to pack and ship everything because we were certain, we, we were hoping for like a certain level of books sold. And it went way past that. Mm -hmm. And it took us actually like eight or nine weeks to ship them all out because it was more than double what we were hoping for. So it just exceeded, yeah, it exceeded all of our expectations. Yeah. I thought your Kickstarter came in at three or three and a half times your goal, which is just, right. I I don't say that like, I say that because that's extraordinary. It's, it's incredible. And then of course, the correlating work would be three to four times the work as well. Well, it wasn't for me. It was for my husband. He's the one who did all the packing and shipping. And my, my daughter, they worked, they worked as a team for several weeks um, getting it all done. I had the same amount of work to do no matter if we sold one book or, or a thousand books. So yeah. It was on them. Being digital rewards, that was for me too. It's just 10 emails in a CSV, 100 emails in a CSV. It's the same amount of work to, to copy across. So that's, that was fortunate for me with the, um, the digital reward. Do you think, I mean, I remember in the old days where stretch goals made a big difference in Kickstarters, but I'm starting to see, do you, what, do you, what is your take? Do you think that stretch goals really matter in a Kickstarter? It's, it seemed like, I don't know, what do you think? It did. It did to us on this one. That's for sure. Yeah. If I was in the US, I, I would probably would have done them. Um, they're fun. They keep that excitement yeah. of people who would like something else. I I, I like to back games, um, and so mm. when it's games and you're getting like a an additional thing for the game, like an extra ten cards that add something, or you know, extra figurines or yeah. whatever else it is, 
that's exciting because right. there's something that you want to help encourage other people to buy it so that you can get that extra. Those so I, I find that. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it just depends, I think, on the Kickstarter and what it is. Yeah, I I have to agree with that. And and saying that in our next Kickstarter, we're not going to have any stretch goals. It's just going to be a set of books and that's it. Nothing extra. Well, let's talk about your next Kickstarter. This is a great segue because your next Kickstarter (laughs) to me is equally exciting to your last Kickstarter. (laughs) Jill, what is your next Kickstarter for? And is this your last Kickstarter? This is our last Kickstarter, and it's going to be the capstone of our year. It's going to be the ultimate everything for us as far as I'm concerned. We're going to be doing the entire Miss Mantle series as a box set, heirloom hardcovers, one-time printing. Like, this is it. And and after this, we're not fulfilling any more Kickstarters ourselves. Yay! Because... <laughs> Yeah, my my husband's going to be 70 years old by the time these books ship next year. So that's it for him. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great, a great way to, to sort of mark the end of a particular chapter in your publishing. True, true. Yeah. Those Miss Mantle books, my goodness, to try to find until you reprinted Miss Mantle four and five this year, those were easily going for two or three hundred dollars sometimes on eBay. Well, you don't, you didn't really know about the Miss Mantle books before we signed the agreement for them. No. Book number four and five used to cost four and $500 each. I believe that. I 100% yeah. believe that. And they look gorgeous. Yes. Like you so the, the pictures are amazing. <laughs> I, you did such a beautiful job. <laughs> Well, the, the artist did a good job too. They really did. Well, and you did all the nice little touches. But in your new ones, they're going to have different covers, right? They are. Yes, we're going to. It's. I think it's to me in my mind is to keep them separate. Like the paperbacks are going to be one version, and then if people want to have a hardcover version, like why not give them something different and also exciting yes. so that there's a reason for them to have two sets. Are you going to do the thing where your spines pushed all together, do something? I am. I am. The artist is doing a separate picture just for the spine so we can split it up. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. It's going to be a picture probably of like Miss Mantle with the ocean and the mist and the tower up in like uh, on the cliff. And that's going to be the whole spine for the whole set. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I really am. I am too. <laughs> Miss Mantle are such special, special books for me. As as you know well, I've named, mm-hmm. and my little girl just came in, my little doggy just mm-hmm. came in. My dog is named for Miss Mantle, Cedar. And I'm just so pleased to have those books in the lives of my family, but also in my lending library. I have so many 10 and 12 and 14 year old patrons come in and they've read Narnia three times and they don't know what to read after that. And I just say, well, have you ever heard of Miss Mantle? (laughs) It's a perfect. It's just perfect for them. It's always a happy day when I get to see a new young soul go to Miss Mantle for the first time. So Jill, what else are you publishing in 2024 that you're excited about? Well, that is the main thing, but 
The year of 2024 for me is getting caught up on everything. I have so many publishing agreements out there that I haven't gotten around to. I haven't had the time to work on these books. I want to get them all published this year. Yay! <laughs> so we have we have more from David Weitzman. We have more from Wyatt Blassingame. We have more Glenn Blau. I mean, Yay! Just, yeah, <laughs> more from Stephen Meter. Yay! Um, <laughs> You've named all my favorites. <laughs> so that's what it's going to be for us. It's just getting caught up on everything that is in the backlog. Do you have a special edition of Combat Nurses coming out? I do. In fact, I just put the last picture in today. I'm so happy. <laughs> it only took a year. You know? <laughs> oh, that's okay. You were busy running a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. T- tell us about that Combat Nurses. Well, the it's to go it's to be a trilogy now, a Wyatt Blessing Game trilogy. Like Medical Core Heroes was originally illustrated with the photographs from World War Two, black and white photos. Mm-hmm. And Combat Nurses of World War Two was illustrated with line drawings. Mm. And I just thought it, after I finished the Medical Heroes book, I thought it would be kind of cool to have like a matching version for combat nurses using nurses in action and and all that so it took a while (laughs) to find all the right pictures that that I wanted in there but that is done and the third book of the trilogy is going to be frogmen of um, U.S. frogmen of World War II that is also illustrated with photographs (laughs) And for they'll have similar covers, similar formats. They'll all look nice on a shelf next to each other, and they won't be hard to find anymore. And for friends who don't know what those are, those are landmark books, and they were unicorns, and they are truly, truly excellent landmark books. I mean, the landmark books in general are just excellent, but some are stellar, and this one, these three are. Stellar. So I, we actually have multiple copies of Combat Nurses and Medical Corps Heroes in our house and just one coveted copy of an old frogman. So I cannot wait to get your new frogman. And I, I love these books. I have not met a patron yet who has not loved Wyatt Blasting Game. Like I've had 50-year-old patrons all the way down to 15-year-old patrons who think that Wyatt Blasting Game is tops. So that's great to hear. (laughs) Jody. what about you? What's coming out in 2024 that you're really excited about? Or should I just ask you to spill the beans about what I'm excited about? (laughs) Well, this group called Plumfield Moms has talked to us. We we had been looking for trying to do a set for a while Mm -hmm. because now we're talking about book spines. I think my team and I, we just, we love pretty book spines. You know, there's just nothing like them. And so we even had um, researched a patent because there's a big book company out there that has a patent on book spine design. And we're like, oh my gosh, okay, does this mean that we can't do pretty things on the spine? No, it's just the software that they use. The software is patented. Thank goodness. We can (laughs) manually arrange things however we want to to make pretty spines. But all the things you don't think of, I'm not I'm so glad of so many things that I didn't know when I got into this. I, I I'm just glad because <laughs> you wouldn't have done um, it if you had known, right? <laughs> you know, I'm I might have. I think I would have just I, I would have been grumpier about it. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, blithe innocence. 
I don't think I would have. If I had known the difference between being a bookseller and a book publisher, because I thought I knew everything, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would have ever attempted it if I'd known all the obstacles that would be there. Well, in all the different personalities and traits that are necessary, all the hats that you have to wear, you guys have to be magicians with technology. You have to be, you have to have a meticulous editing eye. You have to understand your market. You have to do marketing. You have to have customer relationships. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different hats and they're not necessarily some, like it's, it's rare that somebody can possess all of those skills. In one Do you guys both hear her saying you have to be this and, and just hearing you should be doing this, you should be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll add them to my list. <laughs> it was easier 20 years ago. There was no social media and there was no, there was no marketing there. You know, that stuff just kind of happened. I didn't, I really admire you all for doing much more with social media than I do. <laughs> <laughs> that serves its purpose. Yeah. But it's work. It's it's it it looks effortless mm. when you do it well, but there's a lot of work behind it. Yeah. Marketing and social media are very tough. No matter what the gig is, I think they're just really tough. At least if you're sincere and if you're actually trying to do something else. Like if you're unless you're just a social media influencer and that's your gig, I think if you're trying to actually do what you do, which is actually produce a physical product that has a timeless quality to it to then go and say, Oh, by the way, now I have to become a marketing guru and make sure that everybody on social media knows about it and cares about it. That, that is a hard, hard sell. Yeah. And I was just saying, I'm, I'm coming in from the other end than not the seller end, but I've been working with uh, mostly self-publishing authors, but some traditionally published as well and doing proofreading and doing book formatting for both print and eBooks. So coming in that from, the technical side of things of, oh yeah, I have this skill set. This shouldn't be that hard. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, all the things I didn't know. But, um, so anyway, books fine. That's where we sets. were. Um, so we've been we've been trying to find a set of things um to do. And we we were given a book that I'm still searching for permissions for an illustrator, but when Sarah reached out and said, hey, have you ever thought about doing an Alcott? We really want little men. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, actually, Alcott is the author that we're looking at to find this illustrator and see if this will work out. So in the meantime, we're still waiting on, you know, a couple of the different books and seeing what illustrator things we can get arrangements sure. with. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun to go to the Library of Congress and get I must have checked out eight or 10 editions of Little Mm. Men just to see which ones had illustrations. Mm -hmm. Some of them were marked as having illustrations in the Library of Congress catalog. Um, And then it's like, well, where are they? I don't see any in here. But Clara Bird, Mm -hmm. her illustrations are public domain as of this month. And so, yes, we're I'm actually ordering proof copies of that to be able to you know, check our print quality on. And hopefully by this time next month, that'll be available. Uh, barring any hiccups. Friends, we're recording this in January. So when she says next oh, yes. month, she means end of February, early March. So 
That's what she's meaning. So if it's not linked in the show notes, just go to Smidgen Press and take a look or follow us because we're going to shout it from the rooftops (laughs) as soon as it's available. (laughs) And we're going to do some fun things with it as well. (laughs) Yeah. So we're excited about seeing what you guys end up doing with that and how that works with what we were kind of going to eventually do anyway. So wonderful. Yay. So speaking of covers, Anthony, your covers have changed a lot this year. And they're gorgeous. I mean, so gorgeous. Some of them have, yeah. I've <laughs> been having some fun. I'm working on a few covers. I'm releasing a full set of Howard Pyle's books coming up. So all four Yay! of his, uh, King Arthur, along with like um, Salt and Pepper, Rejected of Men, Wonder Clock, Pirates, right. the, the whole And you've already got Robin Hood out there. Yeah, Robin Hood, yeah. of course. Yeah, but I'll, I'll be doing it. It's in a six by nine and they'll be having like fancy, like a matching set covers um for for all of those so i think i yeah i've just finished formatting the final one of those so i've got to stop procrastinating on the covers now so yeah i've been having some fun with the cover it gets hard to find artwork that will always work so i've been starting to have some fun um creating art i am loving the covers of your science books like I have Jill's microbe hunters already and we love it. And my boys actually think it's just one of the most fascinating books ever written. Jack is reading it right now. Mike's already read it and loved it. Um, but I need yours too, because it's so beautiful and it's really neat because Jill's cover is black and it's purple and it's, it's got um, sort of this visual, like it feels like a Petri dish in a really cool, like science is cool kind of way. And that will appeal to one kind of reader like that'll appeal to the really sciencey type reader but your cover with the it's is it louis pasteur on the cover is that the who the image is it is yeah it's a painting of pasteur yeah in his lab and it's just it'll appeal to more of the the more romantic type reader and i just i really delighted to see to to see that and and we loved your we love your astronomer's cover i, I also just really love railway children that's such a cool cover <laughs> so <laughs> I'm loving. I'm loving what you're doing. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's probably the part I I like the very least is is working out the cover stuff. It's um so mm. much work. And then and then I see things like I, I <laughs> I'll get a big box of books in, and my wife will be helping me unpack them. Just oh, this is a gorgeous cover. I'm like, yeah, that's one of Jill's books. <laughs> Look at this. This is beautiful. Yeah, that, that's one of Jill. <laughs> and and she's she's trying to be supportive and lovely but that's my favorite part of the whole book is the cover (laughs) (laughs) but the feel that Jodie has on her books is just I absolutely love it the amount of graphic asset things I've bought that have that feel and they're like I I can't learn how to do all this (laughs) yeah I don't know how to do those kind of covers (laughs) (laughs) well what I think really cool is that when I look at a cover of one of your books I pretty much always know whose it is automatically partly with Anthony you know you've done a really beautiful job with the like the top two-thirds are the image and then the the oval with the white that's not always the case on your books but very often so I mean that obviously helps to signify but I can see very different styles between the three of you but I pretty much always know whose are whose if I didn't already know (laughs) so I I think whether you intend it or not your branding is really good guys (laughs) you're doing great (laughs) 
I remember when I started, I, I'm a sucker for the old Pulp Fiction, you know, your, your dime store detective novels and all that kind of thing with the beautifully <laughs> yeah. painted covers from that, that era. And there's a company been re-releasing them called Hard Case Crime and they've got all that matching branding along the spines and, and all the rest of it. Oh. So when I started, I, I really wanted to have something so that people could have their Ambleside collection mostly matching and... Um, have that friend. <laughs> we talked uh, the other day with Christy Stansfield and Sherry Early, two lending librarians who help us uh, to run the card catalog. And we were talking about one of the classic library dilemmas. And I think this is a dilemma for everybody, home librarians, homeschool moms, and private lending librarians, but more so for private lending librarians, because we have to set up our libraries in a way that makes sense to our patrons. And do we keep publishers together? Because like we love having our Purple House Press shelf, our Living Bookshelf, our Smidgen shelf. Like, do we keep all the small presses together or do we go and put those books where they actually belong on the shelves? And Chris, of course, Christy advocated for we'll just have two, <laughs> two of everything. <laughs> uh, that, that solves everything. <laughs> But it says something, I mean, it's it's adorable and funny, but there's also something bigger at work. And that is that the books that you each have chosen to publish begin to tell a story about your values and the kind of work that you want to see persist. And so if we love two or three of yours, we're very likely going to love others of yours. And so there is something that says, oh, it's a Purple House Press book, or oh, it's a Smidgen Press book, or it's a Living Book Press book. It's trustworthy, and so having them collected together automatically levels up our inherent trust of what we're going to find inside. So <laughs> there's an argument to be made for keeping them all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's been interesting just starting into all this um, to recognize that we couldn't just put out the niche ones that only you know a select few have ever heard right. of because then people would go to our store and go what? yeah who huh yeah who even are these people we see the look of the thing but i don't know that i trust you enough to buy this right book. and so having done lucy maud montgomery for christmas which was a huge success mm -hmm. which was great um and you know having some alcott's this year mm -hmm. having those recognizable names mixed in adds to the trust of what we're doing as well. Um, and so it's letting some readers take more of a chance on, oh, I've never read the Daisy Chain. Oh, wow. That's a really big book. Maybe I want a really big book. To right. Read. Okay. Let me get that. Right. Um, it, it's such an interesting journey of connecting with the reader. I mean, because that's, if there's not a connection, I don't feel like uh, uh, big sales would be nice, mm. but that's also we don't need to be the next Barnes and Noble. I'd love, I'd love for our books to be on the shelves. I'd love for our books to be on the shelves next to Folio Society books. But I also, I don't know of any individuals at Folio Society. I don't know. Hey, are they churning these out with any care? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the advantage of being a smaller thing of making reader friends. That's I like that. Anyway, I love so. that. I love that about you. And I love that. <laughs> I think we have to be careful since people do trust us. We have to be careful of what we put out there so that they can, so that we keep their trust and we don't disappoint them with bad books. Yes. And I love that you are careful. I love that when people have recommended books to you, you've said, 
you know what? I don't think that that one I'm going to do because there are these issues in it that I think would be bad. I don't think that this needs to be reprinted. I don't think these are ideas that we want to be keeping out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a prerogative of yours, but it's also like a custodial thing. You, You are tasked with filtering out some of the bad in order to preserve the good. Yeah, well, we're stewards and we have to be careful of what we what we do. Yeah, exactly. And I love Anthony what you have done with some of your books that are I think really worthy of being reprinted. I'm thinking specifically of James Otis, but I know you've done this with some of your others as well. You've put a really brilliant note in the very beginning of your books indicating that look, we know that some of the language in this book or some of the ideas in this book is indicative of its time. And in its time, there were some problems. There were some misconceptions. There were some some um, fear-based things. And we don't want to perpetuate those, but we do think that this book needs to be presented as an accurate snapshot of its time. Yeah, well, it's such a difficult thing because if I start to change something in the book, anything that I leave is me tacitly approving. Um, mm-hmm. And so where, where do you stop? Um, combined with if I start to change something and I don't change something else I'm agreeing with it but also if we ignore these attitudes that have formed the bedrock of our culture then Mm -hmm. we can be tempted to think hey we've made the destination now where we're at is good as opposed to seeing that there's been continual movement in attitudes and language and we are not at the end of that journey yet um we, right. I mean, in a hundred years, people will be looking at the stuff now that we think is perfectly okay and saying, you know, there's problematic attitudes and everything displayed. And I think if we also ignore them, then we lose that empathy for people who are still be dealing with the baggage of the attitudes and language that has formed the culture that we live in. Yeah. So it's, it's a difficult line and I don't think there's any right answer. We just have to uh, choose what we're doing. <laughs> And I think we would be lost. We would be an impoverished society if we were to completely lose all those things that reflect those prejudices. The prejudices themselves, we, we would like to grow and we would like to grow out of those prejudices. We would like to, to fix those and evolve from that. Um, as you say, become a more compassionate person in the end. Um, but the stories themselves still contain some of the best accounts of that kind of material And to completely lose those would also be a great loss, I think, to our formation. Because there are are a lot of things to be gained from reading about that time period. Not only the, the moral lessons of where they were wrong, but also where they were right, what they risked. I think of Hannah of Kentucky, and there are some prejudices that the young child had. And her parents were very instructive of her, and that is reflected in the text. And I think those are good lessons for us, too, to realize this is how greatly these pioneers dared. This is the, yeah. the, the peril that they put themselves into in the pursuit of something that they thought was truly better. There's a great lesson there for us, too, I think. Absolutely. Wonderful. I think it's also important. So we get there's so much hero worship in our culture, but we are all many faceted individuals. And we, we all have traits worthy of emulation and we all have things that like it, it breaks my heart when I see my kids continuing on some of my bad habits that they've just learned inherently from me. We, 
we all have these different sides. And I think right. it's important to remember that we can emulate aspects of people, but we shouldn't have our heroes as people. It should just be certain characteristics that those people show because we're all going to yeah. fail if we, we idolize people um, throughout history. Right. No, absolutely. What is present in the Otis books is a sense that these people are very flawed and fallible. And you get to see sort of kind of a whole person and say, yes, okay, the values we can subscribe to. And here are the people who live those values imperfectly. Yeah. So you said you're doing Howard Pyle this year. Yes. What else are you excited about for this year? Ah, this year. So I've got a couple of series like that that I've been working through for, for a long time, just on and off for a few years. Um, and I've got the audio book for How the Heather Looks is coming along nicely. Um, I had one lady read it and then she got COVID and her voice has drastically changed and her health has been really bad before she could do the oh. corrections. And so we've had to start again. But Katie, who oh. did the Charlotte Mason books, is reading it and she's nailing all the regional aspects of regional accents of the people uh, throughout the book in the UK. And it's um it's sounding amazing. So I look forward to that coming oh, out. Oh, cool. And I'm talking to another lady about a few more audiobooks. And yeah, just hopefully trying to wrap up all the projects that I get mostly done and then get distracted by something else. <laughs> 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 Diane and I were talking today about our own projects and we said some of these projects we just you know they're never going to hit the light of day we just got to get you know send them to the rubbish bin <laughs> just got to move yeah. on some of them need to be pitched <laughs> that's it I've got so many books that just been waiting for me to to make a cover and I'm wanting to do it as a series and then I can't quite find what I want the feel of the covers to be and so I've just been procrastinating mm. <laughs> oh, oh, do you typically ha or you typically have a birthday sale in March? Are you planning on having a birthday sale in March again this year? Yeah, I will be having one in March um, for my birthday sale. I, I don't know. It, it's a typical ADHD thing where I was wanting to release my latest books. And like we've got my wife's birthday at the end of March, my son's birthday, 1st of April, our wedding anniversary, the 4th of April. It's just that chaotic busy week so I was like okay I've got to get these books released not thinking that then that would mark my birthday time and so I meant to have my birthday sale each year coinciding with the busiest week of the year just personally so um but again it was something where customers like hey it's, it's been a year are you gonna have a sale for your birthday I'm like oh hadn't even thought of that <laughs> so yes I will and then it becomes traditional Anthony, are you going to have any other Kickstarters this year? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> if I start getting tempted, I'm giving Jill permission to like send me a virtual slap across the side of the head and say, remember your health and have a life. Like, I'll say, did you remember how much work those really are? <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm knowing that I don't. I think, I mean, I... Here I am saying this is a male. I'm guessing it's kind of like having a baby where you forget the pain and all that other stuff and the discomfort for all those months and go, you know what, I could do that again. Um, so, but, I'm, but I'm not quite that far distant yet. Um, I, I get excited at different ideas and like, no, no. <laughs> and is there anything that's really massive that you wanted to do that would really warrant a Kickstarter? Or is this not a year for that kind of a project? I don't think it's a year for that kind of a project for me. There's nothing 
I, I keep thinking of different random weird things that are only tangentially related to books or Charlotte Mason that I just think would be fun. Um, I've yeah. always wanted to yeah. have a do a deck of cards, not necessarily playing cards, but just have really cool pictures and something to do with whether they're narration cards or something. And I keep putting different ideas together. But being in Australia, fulfillment becomes such an issue, and I yeah decide yeah. you know what the the work sorting that out. I'd rather go and play with my kids. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a good thing to say. Go play with your kids. (laughs) Oh, I've I've discovered the joy of Lego once more. So we've been having a great time just building Lego. And I get the idea of getting like custom Lego minifigures so people can have a Shakespeare set so the kids can like make Shakespeare narrations by setting up their their Lego minifigs. I've I've got thousands of of different minifigs. I just love them. so yeah, I just keep thinking of different ideas like that and go, oh, but no, fulfillment, that'd be hard. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's the idea and the excitement of getting the idea there. It's like all the books that I want to write and then I get all the thing plotted out and I'm like, hang on, I don't really want to write this now because I know where it's going. I'd rather do the next one. <laughs> not exciting anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun anymore. I know the story. I enjoyed it. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I am hoping, though, to have a Halliburton-style book of wonders about Australia released this year. Um, so I've been, that's part of what I've been doing on our, our trips about the place, getting all my stuff together to do that. And I've got a lady doing a modern version of Charlotte Mason's Elementary Geography. Um, she was cool. a, a former teacher and she's trying to keep the poems and everything but just updating all the other chapters. Um, so right. that's... That's really exciting to have that coming along as well. So, you're really getting into doing more original. Yeah, I love doing some original stuff. Like, <laughs> um, it just I get approached with things, and I'm like, yes, that is what is needed. So I'd love to to do that. There was um, let's explore mm. the British Isles last year, which was commissioned by a Charlotte Mason school in the UK Heritage College, and um, they got somebody to write that to their specifications how they wanted it and um then worked with me to to publish that and I'm really proud of that Mm. title um and then I had so many people asking about other books for other regions so just uh, I've been talking and, and looking at those but again it's um the the amount of work getting all the maps and illustrations and and cost for that kind of thing um I I got to wait for a few of the other projects to pay for themselves first. So <laughs> maybe that's your Kickstarter for next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just wait and pay for it and not have that stress. <laughs> I'll do the Kickstarter after everything's finished and it's just like a marketing <laughs> ploy to get that excitement up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Diane and I are doing uh, book club packets, book club guides for a number of books that we love. And it's crazy because when I'm designing these and I do all the design and then Diane and I do, um, Diane does a lot of like the, the really academic portions of it that are really tremendous. Um, and then I just sort of make it pretty. But maps, especially with historical fiction or with historical books, maps are so important. But finding maps that are visually pleasing and that are free to use, that is not an easy thing. And if you so it's it's really a challenge. So I can understand what you're saying. I have sympathy for you on the whole map thing, because 
it, that's not easy. And it's a lot of work to make an accurate map. So I understand why those things are not easy to find. Gloris, who's done all the maps for me so far, she did some for Marco Polo and all of my John of the Sirius and John of Sydney Cove and all the rest books. Yeah. Um, and she did all of the Let's Explore the British Isles. She does such a nice job, but I always feel bad that she's not charging me enough. <laughs> um, oh. I'm like, no, you, the amount of work you're putting into this, you deserve so much more. And it it makes me feel really bad that I can't can't keep paying her what I feel she deserves. Oh. <laughs> Jody, so we only talked about Elcott. Do you have any big projects planned, any Kickstarters planned, anything like that this year? We have talked about a Kickstarter and I'm not ready to go there yet. <laughs> Partly, I think just waiting to see what approvals we get back um, from the publishers that we've reached out to. We have a few things that are, you know, things that our team likes or things that a group has approached us and said, hey, would you inquire about this and see if we could get reprints? So we kind of have some things up in the air that I'm waiting to see what happens. With that to say, we, we have kind of a, you know, two or three main directions that we could kind of go this year. And since I don't know, okay, is this going to be for 2024 or is this going to end up in 2027? I, we'll, you just wait and see. We'll just see how that goes. But yay. Isn't that the great thing about being small publishers, though, that we can turn on a dime and, and something comes up that either is an opportunity or, in, in my right. case, <laughs> I find interesting. And you can just yeah. jump sideways and and do something totally different. It's great. Yeah, that's why I've got to catch up this year on all the things that I pushed aside <laughs> the last two, three years. <laughs> the L.M. Montgomery Christmas collection that we did ended up being a complete, um, you know, uh, oopsie, <laughs> dead end road. We have to do something else if we want a Christmas book because a project that we were doing, I think we're going to be able to redo at some point in the future. It's a lot of woodcut illustrations, but the text that it was based around was King James scripture. And it was too much, which, and that's fine because it's public domain in the United States. It's not public domain in the UK. Oh. So I was like, we can't, I, no, I don't want to have a book that I'll go. Oh, sorry. Sorry, England friends. Sorry, Scotland friends. You, yeah. can't, you can't buy this. So being able to find Lucy Maud Montgomery, public domain, poems, and stories, and artwork in a way that had never really been put together before. Um, that was great. It was actually a mostly fun project, <laughs> which was good. I knew that coming into this, I wasn't going to be doing covers because I mm. I love them. I wish I could do them. And whenever I tried doing them early on, it was just not happening. So um, God bringing me Terry Schoen, who does the majority of our covers. We've had two or three other designers, but she's helped dial in the main the main feel for mm -hmm. all those. I, I could not do this without her. And then my assistant, Jacqueline, that kind of keeps me going the right direction. She, she's good at asking questions because, yes, being a person with ADHD, it's kind of like, oh, hey, I was working on that. Mm -hmm. And that we kind of, no, we don't Ooh, need that shiny right now. thing, shiny so, thing. Shiny thing. <laughs> so I guess we all have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a requisite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it just fits in well with this uh, profession. <laughs> well, it's hyper-focus, which you have to have when you're working in a project. But also, it's the ability to just sort of focus on something else all of a sudden, and that's chasing the thing that needs to be. And so you might be chasing one aspect of your work and then having to chase a different. 
Um, so yeah, I think it serves you well. I just want to say, Jody, that L.M. Montgomery Christmas book was so unexpected. It was so completely beautiful. And when I think of small publishers, I don't typically think of, I'm going to get a paperback book that's full color inside with classical art. That's not the thing that first crosses my mind. Now, Jill's Elizabeth Ripley, of course, has, you know, <laughs> also changed my mind on that. But your L.M. Montgomery, what a complete Christmas gift it is. The cover that Terry did is just, it's that perfect place between whimsy and folky and classical and just sort of heart. It just, it, it feels like something that you would sit and read around the, the home fire. And then you open it up and these just elegant, elegant illustrations throughout that pair so beautifully with the stories and poetry. It's it's spectacular. So friends, if you have not checked that out, you, you need to. <laughs> Absolutely, you need to. Grab it now for next Christmas or read it now in the middle of the winter. It's perfect for that too. So Jill, Elizabeth Ripley continues to be one of my most favorite things that you've ever published that I didn't know I would care about until it happened. And it continues to show up everywhere I go. People are asking about Elizabeth Ripley and talking about Elizabeth Ripley. How are you feeling about your Elizabeth Ripley books? Are you excited that they're out in the world? Yeah, I'm really glad to know that families are using them to teach their children and adults because they opened my eyes a lot on those artists. I didn't know much about them before I began the project. Mm. And uh, it's just really nice to know that they appreciate art like that. Yeah. Well, the ways in which that you took that art, I mean, considering that it was black and white in its original printing, and yeah. you, you made <laughs> it this luscious, gorgeous color. And of course, starting with Van Gogh, who's the master of color, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Well, you start, you actually started with Rubens, right? And Van Gogh was number two. I don't even remember anymore. They were, I, I don't. They came out at the same time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, do you, do you think will you be able to do more of those, or do you think that this is as much as you're going to do at this point? I've had several people ask that, and it's possible that I might do one or two more, but they will not. Um, Won't be. They will not have prints that go with them. Okay. So okay. they have to know that's a, a little bit different. But I, I honestly don't know if I'm going to be able to. I've started two of them, and I haven't been able to get enough of the artwork in there because it's just they're held in private collections. Oh. So there's, there are no pictures of them out there. Makes sense. So when they're like crucial to the book yeah. and you can't have them in there, it's just kind of, yeah, you, know, you go on to the next book and hope for the best. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, if you can contact their estate lawyers and talk to them, then, you know, it's a tax write-off if you travel worldwide. <laughs> to I, mean, I don't have like $10,000 to do this. I don't. Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarter so that we can get no. <laughs> Michelangelo. No. We have one more and I'm saving that for Miss Mantle. <laughs> true, 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 true. <laughs> oh, marvelous. Well, friends, what else would you love to be able to talk about tonight? Is there anything that you want to celebrate or talk about that's coming up? Evelyn Sibley Lampman's two Shy Stegosaurus books. And I did the first one way back in 2001. Mm -hmm. And back then people were asking me to do the sequel and I just kind of put it off. 
And we're finally releasing it this year, like 23 years later. Oh, yay! <laughs> so, <laughs> you're going to be able to get the Shy Stegosaurus of Cricket Creek and the Shy Stegosaurus of Indian Springs. And part of the reason was coming up with the covers. I wanted them, they didn't match before. They weren't the same style. They weren't the same illustrator. They weren't the same colors. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted it to look like. And I had the same artist do them both. And he did them in colored pencil. And I think he did a marvelous job. And it's just so different than any of our other covers. So I'm really excited to see what people think of them. And I'm just so glad they're going to be able to get both stories now. Yay. I have to tell you that I have, so I have about 100 children in my library across 28 wow. families, about 100 children. And and those children are in this library a minimum of two to three times a month. So there's there's a lot of traffic in here. And David Weitzman is never present in my library. He is perpetually checked out. I have so many boys who are six to 10 years old, like 20 boys are six to 10 years old in this library. And David McCauley and David Weitzman live next to each other in my library because they are checked out together all the time. And they go from wow. one boy to the next boy to the next boy. <laughs> so I have found old versions of many of Weitzman's books, but I'm so delighted about the ones that you're printing because I need those. I need more copies, well, Jill. I really need to get on to those, <laughs> but I'm glad I waited because the the correct trim size wasn't available like two years ago. Oh. So now I can have them be landscape books the way they're meant to be, Yay. and I won't have to chop the pictures mm. up. So Yay. that is something that's on my to-do list this year. I have four David Weitzman books to work on. Yay! I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> and Glenn Blau is always checked out in my library as well. So I'm very excited that really? you're doing more. Oh, oh <laughs> like Glenn Blau, you can't, there's a wait list for Glenn Blau. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I have one more of those to finish up. <laughs> All of your nature library books in my library are always gone, which is great. And I have multiple copies of some of them. <laughs> so they are, I don't know how these things translate for sales for you guys, but it's my hope that in my library, I'm helping moms realize what their children really love. And then those mm -hmm. moms, I know a number of the moms have gone and placed birthday Christmas or birthday and Christmas present orders because, okay, Sarah, we've checked this out three times now. <laughs> I get it. My kid wants this one. <laughs> so well, you're just opening their eyes and making them aware of authors they weren't familiar with before. That's absolutely true. I, I had one mom come in and say, you know, I had a pretty good education. I was, I was pretty well read. And she has a, a whole crop of boys. And she said, but I had absolutely no idea about these books. And it was Jeannie Bendick and Glenn Blau. And Anthony was the first books of, you know, the first book of bees and water. And she's got all these little boys and I have several who have lots of little boys and, and they're like, these are perfect. This is exactly what my little guys need. They're so curious about real things and to have books that are beautiful and wholesome and just so exciting to these young boys. It just keeps them wanting to be read to and wanting to learn to read for themselves. So I'm a big fan. <laughs> I was wondering, um, cause we've had, of course, when the good and beautiful called their list last year, we had people clamoring, reprint them all, reprint them yeah. all. I'm like, okay, some other people are definitely redoing some of them. But two of the ones that came up a couple of times were um, Mother Penny and the Dachshunds of Mama Island. So are those anything that you guys mm -hmm. have in the works at all? 
No, I, I already did Boy of the Pyramids, and that's the mm-hmm. only one I have planned so far. Okay. There are more I want to look into, but neither of those. Yeah, I, I went through and made a list of all the books that would be interesting and then haven't looked at it since. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds similar. <laughs> we were meant to be friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Friends, before we finish up today, I want to make sure that I thank you for something that has uh, become really important to me in the last few years. It wasn't always a big deal, but over the last few years as I've gotten older and busier, and now that I'm a librarian with a lot of books in my house, and very often my books are checked out, (laughs) it's a real blessing to me that you make so many of your books available digitally. Um, Anthony and Jody, right now, I know yours are like very, very easily available on your website, Jill. I know you're working towards that. I just want to thank you for making your books available to be read on devices. Like I use the Kindle app on my iPad, and I also have a Kindle. Being able to read your books in that way is really wonderful for me because I can highlight, I can make notations in a way that doesn't you know, adversely affect the book itself. It's a little bit harder if I'm going to have a child read a book and I don't want them to necessarily see my notes. Um, so I, I love being able to hand them the physical copy of a book, but have that digital for my own previewing or my reviewing or just my own joy. So thank you for doing all that. I just really appreciate that having that option. You're welcome. We really have loved the print editions and and having pretty things to put on shelves. Mm-hmm. But we started when I started, I was not thinking about doing print editions at all. And and I'm thankful for the people who said, go ahead wow. and do them because people people may well want both, like you're mm-hmm. saying. And um so it's been nice to to have things where I catch myself now if I have a book and I'm waiting in line at the post office mm-hmm. for some reason at Christmas time, you know, I, I have a book on my mm-hmm. phone and I can read that. So I think that's why we ended up not going the PDF route just because um, a lot of the, the busy moms that I have been in contact with do grab their phone yes. to read. So it's nice having so many different options to have, hey, you know what? We know the PDFs work on the Kindle to do this. I have this book on my phone. I don't know about anybody else, but I have like one book going on my phone oh, yeah. and I have yep. one that it's in print <laughs> and like three nonfiction ones. I don't, Mine are I don't all know. around the house. So, you know, in the morning <laughs> where I have my coffee and my prayer, I've got a little stack there. And then at night, I've got a stack on my bedside stand and downstairs I have the stack I'm working on. But then for me, my lunch book is always an ebook and it's always a book I'm reviewing. So right now I'm in Anthony land. <laughs> I'm reading a bunch of Anthony books just because they all suit a particular purpose I'm going for. And I, I just sit there at lunch and I have my lunch and it's like a, a moment in my day that I just stop and the busyness just stops. And my kids know that if I'm reading, like they really are good and respectful about that. And it's you know, it's just a moment of sanity. So I, I love it. I'm all about it. <laughs> and I, I mean, yes, I could do that with a regular book, but you know, in my library contract, I tell my patrons, you know, you can't eat when you're reading our books. So I'm like, yeah, I should, I shouldn't be either. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just eat, I'll read the digital version. <laughs> and I want to shout out to, to the, the readers who are willing to, to take a chance on something that's not a major retailer. I won't, I, I won't say names, but yeah. Um, the, the big retailers have trained people for eBooks that, Oh, you go one click and it's, it's sent to your device. And so if you want to buy from a small mm-hmm. business, 
and and not make it to where we have to go through a big retailer and jump through their hoops and make sure we have paperwork in order. Or, I mean, we we don't have an ebook available on retailers for the Lucy Maud Montgomery Christmas because it was rejected. Oh, they wouldn't accept our classic. copyright claims. And so, so the only way you can get an ebook right now is either, I believe, on Barnes and Noble and, um, no, nope, Barnes and Noble and Apple Books both took it and and didn't complain. And from our website, but mm. buying directly from a small publisher means extra steps. It means you know slower shipping times for our books. We were able to find um, a company that would take everything from our little tiny hardcovers all the way up to our eight by ten books. There's no online retailer that would do that. So being able to find a place that was reasonable mm-hmm. color printing mm-hmm. costs that had all our formats a trade-off has been shipping speed and um and some other things so i'm just so thankful for the number of people that have been gracious at with some of the hiccups that we had in november and december um it's just the nicest group of people that that love this kind of books you know i mean of course there's outliers (laughs) but i it's just been such a pleasure to find the people that are willing to take a chance on a new business like ours on um, you know, the connections that we're making with Jill and Anthony, who've done this so well for yes, so long. I yes. mean, it, it's great. But yes, kudos to the readers. Absolutely. I, I am so honored to be part of this amazing community of people who are so patient and kind when things go wrong, shipping gets lost or whatever happens. And it is so rare that I get an angry customer. And mm. the only one I have had recently was moving countries and was getting the books for somebody else. And there was just so many layers of stress. And they've apologized to me so many times since. I'm like, no, I get that you were stressed. Like, it's all right. These, like, <laughs> um, but everyone, everyone is understanding that life happens and that we are just people like you guys trying to juggle everything. Um, and yes. the support and graciousness is so encouraging and beautiful. Well, one would hope that people who love living books are trying to live in a way that's consistent with those living books. So I would hope that this community <laughs> would be one that would be like that. Yeah, I think most of them are. They they appreciate what we're doing and they they realize that we're not getting rich off of this. We're making a living, but the real reason we're doing it is because we want to save these books yes. for the future. Yes. And you are. That is what is really important here is you are saving these books. Anybody who knows how hard it is to find the old books, once you start getting into the good lists or you start getting into something like being a lending librarian and realizing the complete absence of these books... What you are doing is heroic, and we are deeply grateful. So we will continue to do everything we can to support you because we need you to keep doing what you're doing. And thank you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Yeah, I want to keep doing this for as long as I'm able to. Yay! (laughs) Jill and Anthony and Jody, I really appreciate it. It's fascinating listening to you guys who are so good at doing something that I just don't even understand. <laughs> so. Well, I can't proofread. <laughs> Which works for me, right? <laughs> really appreciate your um, willingness to share with us what you're doing and, and to do it. So thank you so much for coming. 
And doing it so well. And friends, Diane really was here the whole time, but there are <laughs> there are five of us in this conversation. And I'm so grateful that Diane just really allowed Anthony and Jill and Jody to take center stage today. So um, Diane was here, um, but she was holding down the fort in a different way. So thank you, friends. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for what you're doing. We're looking forward to the really exciting stuff that you have coming out this year. And we will continue to promote things. So friends, we really encourage you, go and follow them on social media. Go and follow us on social media if you want to know what they're doing, because I can assure you we're going to reshare their stuff all the time because we're very excited about it too. And um, if you're if you're curious about the things we talked about today, head over to the show notes. You can find them on our website. You can probably also find them in your podcasting app. And uh, we should have tons of links for you to go and check out a lot of the things we were talking about. So friends, thanks so much for being here. And until next time.